This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to the program. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts here of Kelly and Ramya. Weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, AMI-TV, and over on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern. Check us out as a podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform, and you can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Ramya podcast where you don't miss a thing, including the audio vanity card. I bring this to your attention as Grant Hardy joins us for this segment because we're going to talk about some of the segments on the program through the week and give some reflections. Uh, These are reflections because actually, you know what, we ran out of time or knew it wasn't quite the place to get into some of the subject matters that these particular segments have spawned for us in thinking about. I want to start with Tuesday's program where we spoke with Kansas Accessibility Officer Stephanie Cadu about her first report. This is called Everyone's Business, which highlights the strides we've made for a barrier-free Canada. Now, here she is touching on it uh, briefly. Well, the act, the act itself, um, really is is trying to initiate uh, a massive culture shift, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and with that, there has to be a mindset shift. As a society, we have got to recognize, and and I don't have to tell you this, but um, we have to recognize that people with disabilities are not the problem. The barriers are the problem and it's the barriers that are costing us all a better quality of life and and costing the inclusion of people with disabilities and work has begun and so this report is really setting uh just setting a baseline for the fact that the work is starting we've made a commitment to the work but we have a long way to go and we have a lot to learn about what accessibility is and why it matters if we get if we're going to get to that barrier free 2040 fantastic information she gave us Tuesday on the program. Check that out via the podcast. I love the fact that she mentions the barriers. And again, barriers can be so many different things. Instead of pointing fingers and saying, oh, it's you, it's the attitude that this government has, or employers that don't want to bring me in, or landlords that are so worried I'm going to, my wheelchair won't fit here, or I might fall down the stairs here, whatever. We know there's barriers. We know, as Stephanie talks about, uh, the potential of laws being able to work with that. One of the other barriers that I, I have always noticed through my life is ourselves, members of the disability community. We kind of touched on it for a moment near the end of, of the conversation, but we can think of communities in the disabled world, disabled fear, sphere, that we may not work as well together. Some, we sit back and say, wow, they band together, work together, and get things done. Some of the other disability communities, maybe that's not their style, not their flair. They hang back a little bit. But we get into so many cases where we we do need to speak and say, hey, this is what we need. We do need to make sure it's pointed out because when we're all in unity, holding hands, fighting for a common good or a cause that we want to work on, some of the people in the line may not be able to say, well, you know, persons who are blind need this. We, we need to show up. We need to be there. We need to inform. We need to speak up. And of course, this goes without saying, in the proper way. You know, we don't need to be the sledgehammer crashing through. We need to be assertive. We need to speak up. But I find that 
as the old saying is to be, safety in numbers, strength in numbers, whichever way you want to put it. And we've heard some of the more recent sayings, um, going back to the Paralympics even, you know, nothing without us. That's the way that things are. We are a part of this. Many people in some form have a disability, whether they recognize it or not. But it's a matter of trying not just to think of the other. Well, what would it be like if I was, you know, in Grant's shoes? Um, maybe ask Grant, maybe ask Grant, come along, or Grant steps up and says, yeah, I'll be alongside you guys, I'll be there, instead of leaving it to, eh, well, maybe Romeo will go. Grant, your feelings on this. Well, absolutely. I think that anybody who believes that the disability community is completely unified is uh, <laughs> is mistaken, uh, because we aren't. And on the one hand, that's fine. Not everybody in the world has the same opinion or the same perspective. But I do think one thing we have to be careful about is using better than average skills in order to tear down infrastructure that other people want. So for example, mm. you know, if you're a blind person who's really, really good with computers, you know, you're, you're practically a programmer, you might be okay with, you know, this software here at you know, at, at work, it's really hard to use. I have to kind of simulate a mouse click here or there. I've had to kind of come up with all these, these hacks, these workarounds. But for me, it works fine. So I don't really care. In fact, I might even be dismissive towards the accessible infrastructure that another blind person is saying they want. We see this too with mobility. You know, someone who's incredibly just has super skills might be a little bit more dismissive towards somebody who has lesser less skills or is, is newer or is just less confident and yes. that's very unfortunate because i think that in all of our lives we have these areas where we're not we can't be confident in all areas mm. i'm a very tech confident technology user but i'm a very weak weaker than average mobility user. So I think I've learned, uh, Rami, I mean, there's so much to say here we could we could go on, but I, I've learned even infrastructure that I absolutely don't feel I need, but that eliminates a barrier for somebody else is important and not something I should dismiss. Totally, totally, Grant. And, and I appreciate what you say about lived experience as well, because uh, we are on a spectrum on all these levels, right? It's very yep. complex to try to get some feedback. And I understand the complexities uh, can be challenging, can be discouraging, uh, especially when we're talking about, you know, infrastructure in the sense of like this already exists now how do we make it accessible moving forward does that mean stripping down does that mean getting rid of heritage sites and history like there's a lot to discuss there's a lot of back and forth tug of wars arguments and and um you know rules and feedback that need to happen in order to be able to move forward in a fair way and then there's lots of that that has to happen for us to say hey we are in accessible Canada now um so obviously there's just so many spots it can feel so overwhelming but and these initial interactions these initial conversations with builders with um service providers with researchers people who are starting any kind of project at all and that kind of initial interaction that I'm, I'm talking about can really make or break a situation for you. It can make you feel like, okay, yeah, we can do this. Accessibility is a thing. Um, 
and I feel like I can talk about it or ask questions about it, or depending on what that interaction was for you, it can feel very discouraging. And I think that we got to be cognizant of that as well. So, um, but it was an incredible conversation. And I think something to continue reflecting on, but also revisit to, to go back and uh, listen back to Stephanie Kadu. On Wednesday, on a totally different note, we spoke to Greg David, uh, and he led a discussion on the lack of a pilot season with the U.S. TV networks. And here's uh, here he is explaining the ramifications of the Writers Guild strike that obviously made a huge impact on this. Well, I mean, the last time we spoke about TV show pilots, um, the uh, the broadcast networks had picked up just six shows out of the combined 14 pilots that they had uh, that they had uh, kind of lined up now pre-pandemic times there were up to 60 pilots being considered for series and i still say i would love there to be a channel of all of those pilots that never made it to air uh just you know for the, the fun of it uh but last year we spoke about several pilot projects that ended up being held over to this upcoming broadcast season because of the strike so uh mm -hmm. you know things that that had been set up and that we talked about previously they just never saw the light of day, so the production companies on the network said, okay, well, we're going to hold off, uh, and now these new shows to, that we saw the pilots for, discussed the pilots for last year, are now coming to series. So in addition to potential shows being renewed, um, there have been several freshman series that were supposed to debut this year that have been instead pushed to this fall. I mean, earlier we talked with John Beeler and kind of threw out the sentiment of, could we have prepared for this? Is there a way we could have said, you know, this this is something that may arise, this situation, so let's learn how to troubleshoot it in a realistic way? And I think with the Writers Guild or uh, strike, but also the pandemic and all these other examples, there really isn't, right? And the thing is, it went so long. The strike itself went so long. The ripple effect and trickle effect of um, this Writers Guild strike was so enormous. And I don't know if there was any way for people and networks and all these different departments, different cogs in the machine to have predicted uh, how long it was going to go, number one, and how to deal with the after effects. So now we're kind of like pulling things out of the archives and um, saying, forget it, you know, quantity over quality and all these different ways that we're dealing. And on top of that, we know that TV is changing pretty significantly as it is. We're, you know, award shows with pilot season. Greg went on to talk about how pilot season itself is probably not going to be a thing anymore. Um, and, and I just wonder, you know, it, conventional TV as we know it, uh, as it makes, as all these changes happen because they have to or because, you know, the, the public, we demand it does with all these changes and uh, exposure to things like streaming networks go on, how can we keep track? Is it just things as they happen or can we be more proactive towards, you know, next year's pilot season or next year's award shows or uh, next year's way that TV is going to look. And I, I don't know. Like, I don't think that there's any real way to keep track or mm, feedback these things ahead of time. It, it's got to be just seeing where it goes and then uh, say, well, that didn't work out last year. Let's see if something else will. But we are more vocal and fickle, I think, as well. So if it's not working out here, then we've moved on. And I think that that says a lot because, Kelly, uh, somebody's going to lose money somewhere when mm. that happens.
Yeah, and I think we have to look at the regular, the actual natural maturization of what would have really happened if we didn't have a pandemic, didn't have a strike. You know, things change in time. We are watching so many things happen, whether we're talking about what the chat GPT is going to do, um, how they've countered, how these things had to be talked about. But losing something like pilot season, yeah, I mean, it's tough, but it'll re it'll rebound as something else in another way that may not be called that but probably be more efficient in the way of instead of going to LA and hanging out and saying, all right, let's take a look at a bunch of these at NBC or whatever, there'll be something else different, Grant. I have to believe that down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, I would hope so. It's certainly interesting to examine all of the internal sort of politics that mm. lead to us either having access to something or not. Yes. I remember reading that um, American Idol, one of the highest rated shows on TV ever was uh, broadcast because the daughter of an executive at the TV station, his kid daughter had access to the show on British TV and loved it and asked her dad if he could bring it to the network in the States. Like that's fascinating. That's fascinating yeah. that I always assume those uh, decisions like that are sort of, more scientific mm -mm. um and at the end of the day it sometimes co comes down to politics and you think like hmm, is there any way i could have access to this show that maybe didn't quite make the tv but that might be my personal favorite or you know this or that and 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 you just can't but um yeah that's it's fascinating to see all the as you said the the cogs in the machine the the wheels that that determine whether you have access to something or not. Mm. Um, really quickly, uh, switching gears to Kelly's conversation uh, with Leanne Barta, where she gave some tips on hosting an accessible uh, house party. You want to be welcoming, you want to be gracious, uh, flexible and attentive with your guests. So you, you can kind of get a, a sense of the mood in the room if no one's talking and it's oddly quiet and it feels awkward, then, you know, there's, there needs to be a switch. Something needs to happen to make it um, a little bit more livened up or, you know, uh, maybe an icebreaker or maybe it's time to start the game or whatever it is you're doing to get people kind of mingling and to know that there's a change happening and that the party's getting started. Yeah, this is something that I, not necessarily as a host, but just as a participant, I've always found exceptionally difficult because there's so much that can be transmitted in a visual uh, format um, and not not to sound you know like I'm being feeling sorry for myself or anything absolutely not a lot of people learn to handle this very well and do an exceptional job uh, but I've always found everything from the subtle etiquette you know when do you sort of start eating the food versus when do you kind of start to wrap things up it's hard but also just mingling because often what happens is you know groups of people kind of get together and just kind of milling around and figuring out who's there, who, who, who's talking to who, whether someone's coming up just to say hi, or whether someone's coming up because they'd like to have a 10 minute conversation with you. Uh, all those things are exceptionally difficult for me to kind of figure out. I know both of you have your individual journeys with vision loss. So maybe one or both of you would like to give a couple quick tips or just your own perspective mm -hmm. on these parties. 
Jump in there, Rum. Yeah, I just, I find that slight pressure slash awkwardness is always there. Any kind of social gathering for me, it's exactly what you said, uh, Grant. Like, am I getting the hints? Are there hints? Where are the hints? Um, you know, am I with somebody? Did I have to come here on my own? And then the <laughs> let's get the party started part. When I'm hosting <laughs> any, like, level of or group of friends, I have no idea when to or how to give that hint. So, you know, somebody else got to start the party. <laughs> I find that my for myself um, in social things, and and I find it more I'm more quieter. I I become so aware that I'm loud, that I love to hear people laugh. So I try to be the funny guy sometimes. And as I've gotten older, it, it wears a, a little bit. Um, I I don't I'm try to be aware of not grabbing the floor and mm. keeping it. Mm. So uh, as for the other social things, that I think if I hosted things, I think I'd be okay with. I think I'd be okay with the volume of people. But that's just my theory as opposed to actually tried and true testing. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely that person that would rather go to something and say, hey, guys, thanks. It's been a great 45 minutes. I'll see you later. <laughs> thanks, Grant. <Yeah>. Appreciate <laughs> thanks, you joining guys. us today for Cut for Time. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week on the program. Uh, we do this every week on Fridays. Sit down and visit. Rumya, myself, Grant, or Beth joins us uh, for Cut for Time. Please check the stuff out via the Kelly and Rumya podcast for more details and complete segments. We step aside for a moment. When we return, let's wrap up the Friday edition of our show. We'll see what's going on on the weekend uh, over at AMI-TV and AMI-audio. And we have a closing moment for you folks about kind of learning some tips for taking it easier and not stressing yourself out we're back with that after this we'll be back with more of kelly and ramya after this short break Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.